With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to our Y Whale community members and our audiences around the world. My name's Abe, and I'm the head of ecosystems at Y Whales. We're a community of senior executives who are either building, investing, or learning about the latest technology shaping the way we do business and live. Today, I am delighted to be your host because I'm introducing you to Thayer Gazenberry, a true visionary and leader in the metaverse space. Now, Thayer's background is quite interesting. He's held roles at Tesla, Solar City, spent some time at the US Congress, a few years in the legal world. He started an interesting company called Polygram, which was the first social network app with AI facial recognition. So using facial detection, Polygram gave analytics about the emotional reactions people have to the photos you post. Sounds a little bit like Snapchat, so we'll ask him about that later. But today, Thayer is the co-founder and CEO of Clippo Labs, a company that is the developer of the multiverse interactive immersive reality platform. It's delivered as a metaverse as a service um, product. But before we dive into this, Thayer, I have to give you some congratulations because you. you are accepted into the Advanced Imaging Society, which comprises of entertainment professionals who vet, uh, who vet tech that is driving the entertainment industry. Now, this is VR, AR, 3D, cloud, and live rendering. So you're amongst Marvel, Disney, Pixar, Netflix, NVIDIA, Epic Games, Discovery. Not only that, you are the first startup to ever be invited in this community. Is that correct? Yes, and we were quite surprised and shocked and humbled by by the fact that we were invited and accepted and we now have a seat on the Board of Governors. That's amazing. Um, that basically they want us to be the guiding way through this um, uh, metaverse, basically, landscape as it's evolving. I like it. That's fantastic. Well, let's let's dive right into it. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. So, um, you know, I guess give us a little bit, you know, I, I talked a little bit about your background, but is there anything that you would like to highlight as far as your experiences and what brought you to Clippo Labs today? Yeah, well, Clippo Labs uh, um, before, well, started years ago. So the okay. first the first product we ever worked on, which is my uh, basically first failure, if you will, let's 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 start with those. Let's hear it. Let's <laughs> because hear in, it. in the life Great of an entrepreneur, there. life of an entrepreneur is not one if it if if it doesn't include a few of those. So uh, the the first the, the first of those was that uh, Clippo Labs actually started as a payment company. Um, okay. years ago and I had I had invented a technology called red eye and this okay. is before NFC chips were available and basically the premise of this technology was that it would make every uh, smartphone capable of communicating with any other smartphone irrespective of the manufacturer and brand so basically iPhones wow. could talk to Androids yeah. for the purpose of peer-to-peer -peer basically connections so people can basically transact payments so we had we had developed the technology it was it was a patented technology it was basically ready to go and all this sort of stuff except there was one minor thing that we had missed <laughs> being a young entrepreneur uh, with not much experience was that in United States every state requires a separate money transmitter license so that means okay. this startup could not have basically uh, stand on its two feet if we did not start with millions and millions and millions of capital which required Gosh. to basically <laughs> go to every single state within the United States and secure this peer-to-peer -peer, uh, money transmitter license. So for that minor <laughs> uh, miscalculation, that did not happen. Um, okay. And uh, But that was basically, uh, through that, I, I met my uh, current co-founder, uh, Marcin, Okay. And uh, we basically, uh, Marcin is, is a, a former university professor and uh, he has a PhD in computer vision. And we had this, uh, we, that, that was basically the origins of Polygram. We had this crazy idea. Those were the beginning days of social media. 
And right. one of the experiences we had, which which was kind of um, uh, was irking us, is that whenever you post on social media, you get some feedback, but it seems somewhat vague. Like people like mm. it, or right. a couple of hearts, and uh, like some comments. But you, we, I wanted to know more a little bit. Like if I okay. if I if I was if I was posting something funny or something newsworthy or something informing, I wanted to uh, kind of have a bit more analytics, if you will. Sure. With respect to how how basically posts affect uh, my audience, mm. so we came up with the idea of having an AI, and this is the first first uh, first AI ever actually that that ran on a, on a mobile device that would okay. uh, that would basically um, detect facial responses of people to content. Hmm. And this is this is years ago, so the, there were no ChatGPT, and advancement of AI wasn't you know as as much. So we we started very basic, like we had basically psychologists and psychiatrists working us, and we had labs, and we had That's people incredible. where we sit them and, and introduce them to different stimuli and recorded facial expression. So okay. we would train this AI engine to understand how how basically human facial basically uh, uh, expressions change depending to different stimuli. So we can train this AI engine to understand uh, how you react to different content. And then this was basically launched on a mobile app that, uh, like Snapchat and Instagram, you could upload video and and, and picture. But instead of having people manually react to you, they would just basically browse the content. But the AI would get their authentic reaction and then you would get a wealth of analytics on your end with respect to where your audience is from, how they react to it, if, if they're indifferent, if they pay attention to it. And originally we thought this would might use as a tool actually for lots of Instagram influencers to, to sure, launch their right, content definitely. first on this right. and then kind of fine tune their it's 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 kind of uh, impact on mm-hmm. on a on a kind of smaller audience before basically posting the same content on um, other social media. Um, so there, there are a lot of technical challenges involved, and we're talking imagine. about the uh, we're talking about like um, many many generations ago of iPhone. They did not have an, you know high powered GPUs to run AI. So just running an AI and app at the same time that was a lot of challenges. With my co-founder genius <laughs> figured it figured a way out. Um, so we developed it and we launched it, and it received a really really welcoming response. We were like covered all over the world. And in initially started having lots of usage, um, except something very interesting happened. I got an invitation from a shall not be named, very no, well known big consulting firm that wanted me to come in and sit down with a group of quote unquote government leader to discuss this innovation. And All right. When I went to this meeting, I found myself in a room with a group of about 20 people, which they identified themselves as the intelligence community. And they wanted us to explain how this works and in what other ways this could be utilized. And I can't discuss really about... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yes. And I, I don't, I don't want to go into details, but, but, but suffice to say, the the things I heard and the questions I was asked with respect to, you know, other kind of peripheral and tangential uses of this technology. When I walked out of that meeting, I called my co-founder and I say, uh, "Take the app down. We're not, we're not continuing with this anymore." I just, I, it was, Gosh, it just. Shut it down. Yes, I shut it down. I just, it, I figured that in in our in our again uh, young entrepreneur naivety, we had created the technology that we we basically focused on on a use case that we wanted wanted to be, but we didn't we did not we did not foresee that it might have uh, lots of unintended consequences. Similar to a lot of yeah. things that you hear nowadays about, like advancement of AI, sure, and sure. this is this is basically a cautionary tale, I guess, for for a lot of folks out there. You you might basically have some some basically pure vision of some technology you're creating for for something that might be fun or or do good, but there are you know there are secondary uses and and, and other basically uh, use cases for anything, and you might not basically pay full attention to those. So this was one of those cases, and. Uh, <laughs> 
That's a really interesting lesson. Um, yeah. And, you know, given that you made this a couple of years ago, do you think that that has been replicated ever since? Definitely, yes. Yes, we, yeah. know, we know that that technology advanced far beyond sure. where we left it off. And, and, and you know, uh, there are, it's currently in use in many, many different ways. It's just that it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to basically be involved in, if you will. Um, yeah. So with that lesson then, you know, what is your advice to entrepreneurs and leaders who are building very quickly in the space because competition is also technology is sure. moving so fast. Sure. Do you do you suggest that they have a you know an opposing view um, person in that room, or someone representing ethics, or you know what is an entrepreneur supposed to take away from that lesson and not fall in the same? Definitely, the, basically the fundamental lesson is that um, you know try to try to simulate beyond the use case you have in mind. And mm. see, and you see in what in what negative way what you're creating could that impact society, or 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 basically people's people's uh, 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 freedom, if you will, uh, or sense of sense of uh, sense of privacy, and try to under, try to for yourself balance those interests to sure. see if if basically the, the use case and that you you see and you mm. intend in the world to exist balances with how this could 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 basically go the other way now. In some cases, if I if I might add, in some cases, uh, you know, that's uh, that's basically uh, it, it is something to consider. But there is nothing you can do. Like right now, in 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 the world of AI, we are in right now. There are some right. prominent figure out there that <laughs> advising that. Uh, basically, development of AI need to be paused for 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 basically betterment of society and and a for lot the, of you were saying that. and yes and and for the fact that you know we should figure out how to basically um, govern it. Unfortunately, there is another side of side to this is that suppose we did this, we also have from a geopolitical standpoint in the in the broader world we have basically. Uh, perceived adversaries that uh, that do, do not hold themselves to to such standards. That's so correct. if we are, so if you if you basically consider this from an arms race perspective, which it will become at some point, AI will be weaponized. That is just the way of the future, whether we like it or not. And when that when that time comes, we cannot afford to be uh, behind the curve. That's so right. even though we it is, guys, you're saying. yes, yes, right. definitely. So mm. even though, even though it, this is something that we have initiated, and and it, the Pandora's out of the box, if you will, um, uh, we cannot afford to stop. Uh, you know. Uh, and, and fall behind. We need to basically develop and also think about regulation and governing at the same time, as fast as we can. Yeah, that's, uh, you yeah. know, th the problem there is government doesn't move fast at all. And, you know, it's, it's sure. as fast as you try and educate and, and, and sure. keep up with things. It's It seems like that is just the rock that is just, you know, a, a massive boulder to move. And I, I'm not yeah. sure what the solution is to that. Um, I mean, th th there are a lot of there are a lot of fundamental solutions. Um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, what what <laughs> I I posted something uh, some 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 time ago in, in on Twitter. Um, uh, if you think about it, uh, it may it, it may it, it may sound crazy in the beginning, but if you actually pause and think about it, uh, the Terminator T eleven hundred or T eight hundred was it? If right. you wanted to, if you wanted to make that happen from a hardware and software perspective, every every single thing thing you need is in existence today. Minus yeah. minus Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> minus Skynet. Everything is in existence. So I guess if we're thinking about like a doomsday scenario, the things that we need to kind of think about are fundamentals, the very fundamentals that make these things happen, and that mm -hmm. has to do with the supply of power. And basically, the silicon chip and United States government is is basically, fortunately, focusing at least on on some very key fundamentals, making sure that there are basically um, appropriate level of export control on on the silicon level, uh, which does impact basically the, the competition in the world with right. respect to who's, who's who can kind of run these things, sure. if you will. But that won't hold for long. So then, you know, hopefully they catch up and they they um, they think about other things. One thing, however, that gives me comfort is this: when I when I people when I hear people tell me that uh, yeah, government's too slow and they don't understand and they they don't care, it gives you the feeling as if like they have no clue what's going on. But I can tell you from first-hand experience: when I met the people I met in that meeting, okay. when we had that AI, sure. and I can tell you that across the table were pretty incredibly smart individuals. 
on the side of the government. Very impressive. So that gives me uh, a lot mm. of hope that, uh, sure. you know, despite what we hear, that government is not capable or moves, moves slowly and all that sort of stuff, government uni of the United States actually does employ incredibly smart people and capable people. And if, whether or not we know or not, I think they are on top of things. But they may not advertise that they are, sure. but they are. They know what's going on. That's a great perspective, and I'm glad yeah. you sort of highlighted that as well. Um, um, that's that's it's a quite a scary scenario that you presented, but there's a, a, a bit of optimism that you've ended that one with. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Quite sure. an experience that you've had as well. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Memorable. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So then if we can transition then to, to more recent, tell yes. us about Clippo Labs. Were, were, were there experiences that you just sort of shared with sure. us that sort of led to the ideation yep. of Clippo Labs or so, the purpose behind it? Yeah. So what happened was Polygram had a feature. This is an interesting how feature became a product and later became a platform. Polygram had a p feature and... Um, Many years ago, if you remember, in the advent of augment, aug, aug, augmented reality, okay. there were there were these AR things that you could use with your mobile device to, let's say, project a dancing hot dog, Snapchat, this famous dancing yeah. hot dog on, on top of a table and all that sort of stuff. And that was one AR object. And we were basically thinking as a feature for Polygram app, um, how can we have unlimited number of AR objects? Not just one, but just fill a room with balloons, if you will. Just something simple. Okay. Um, now, at the time, I was actually working at Tesla. And um, one of the... Uh, I, had, I had heard that there was a challenge uh, for Tesla to open showrooms in certain states. It turns out there is this arcane law in the United States that says manufacturer of a product cannot sell the same product. It goes back to many decades ago um, having to do with alcohol distilleries. Alcohol distilleries cannot open a bar. It's a form of anti-competitive law. So yeah. apparently this, this <laughs> law was used to basically prevent Tesla from opening some showrooms in some states. So, and that got me thinking, okay, are there immersive technologies that you could use very simply that are also photorealistic that mm, sure. you could actually see a whole Tesla in a, in a, in a kind of an immersive setting that you can kind of see it, go around it, get inside, you know, see it from outside, every angle, customize it. So, you know, not having a showroom is, is, is not as, 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 as a negative or, or as damaging, if you will, to, to, to company right. kind of face with right. you know, regulatory challenges of such. And at the same time, we were kind of working on this kind of AR feature. So we thought, okay, if we, and we had, we had cracked a knot in that, meaning that we figured out how to have unlimited number of AR objects, again, yes. running, on a, running on a kind of limited resources of phones. So the next step was that, okay, if we can do many AR objects, can we actually have like a complete environment? With, with with lots of uh, let's say full full blown Tesla with with every detail, and try to basically um, uh, appreciate it for for for, for uh, all its angles and get 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 inside the car yeah, and look at it from right. every view, and we made that happen, and that was basically the the origins of what we do today. And we had a name for this before Metaverse was a, was, was a buzzword and all this sort of stuff. We said, okay, um, this is the next generation of e-commerce, so let's call it immersive commerce. Okay. And we, at the time, were basically thought that we're enterprise-facing company, so we were working on a bunch of vertical technologies to offer these things to um, um, enterprise clients for the sake of basically having immersive showrooms, primarily on mobile devices. Okay? okay, and we pushed the boundaries of quality so far uh, until Cartier, like, until mm. Cartier basically became our client, and that that was basically a two-year engagement with their innovation department, and for us was a psychological bar because we thought if we stick with these guys and if we if if we basically work with them and if we basically go back and forth and get it to a point where Cartier tells us, okay, yes, this is good enough of a quality that we're willing to simulate a diamond lace Cartier watch with, with, with your guys, that should be good for any brand or anything sure. in the world, right? Okay. So we got to that point when we realized, okay, perfect. Now, now we, we, we have the expertise on how to make things, quote-unquote, photorealistic enough for the purpose of basically merchandise being sold. And we were basically going, uh, you know, one by one, creating a bunch of technologies, um, until pandemic came about, 
And that's, mm. that's the origins of how multiverse happened. I go to Burning Man every year, along with uh, uh, you know other co-founders. W- uh, at this point, we had a new entrant into in our, in our company, our third co-founder, Renee Brousseau. And she had the um, amazing idea that, um, you know, if we pull everything we had built over the years for these basically different verticals of uh, immersive commerce under one roof, we can basically help Burning Man organization take their... Uh, um, take take the event virtual because we knew they wanted to do that and we knew that they're in the market they're talking to game studios here and they're trying to see who has what that, that could make this happen so now but but this basically suggestion was was very um, difficult because we had we had these different vertical technologies but we had not right. basically put them all together right, and we only right. had a short three and a half maybe four months until until yeah, the sure. event event was being large so we created a quick demo sent it to burning man and they quickly came back and said oh you guys have everything we need as wow. a matter of fact we had we had in, in, in communication with a bunch of other you know players in the market and right uh, there are basically things you can do that apparently no one can and and what are those we have as as part of what we call today interactive immersive reality which is an umbrella term for a bunch of these vertical technologies that we have okay. one of them is our ability to simulate uh, environment that are extremely large so yeah. Burning Man is the largest like seven, seven, seven square miles, the largest yeah, simulation miles. ever made. We also have our own proprietary avatar platform that allows us to have um, many avatars in close proximity in one environment, no matter where they are in the world, that they can basically congregate in one virtual right. environment and communicate mm-hmm. via live voice. We also have our own... Um, a CDN. It's a fancy term to say we have our own equivalent of Netflix or Twitch that allows us to broadcast unlimited simultaneous broadcasting channels inside one environment. So, for example, Burning Man had 150 simultaneous broadcasts from around the world. Basically, wow. DJs broadcasting music into, into, right. into one environment. Jeez. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we basically pitch all this to Burning Man and they said, okay, uh, let's do this. And we 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 set out to do something nearly impossible. So for for basically nearly four months, we were working 18-hour days. Uh, and we're a small team uh, making this happen. Uh, and an interesting thing was that this was a community effort, just like just like how real Burning Man happens. Yes, yep, so right. we were working... Yeah, we were working directly <laughs> with... Uh, um, now, nah, just, just a, just a uh, pause, where the name Multiverse came from. Burning Man yeah. every year has a team name. So this past year was called Terra Incognito. The, the 2019, the last one that didn't cancel, was called Metamorphosis. 2020, <laughs> 2020 was the first year that canceled. The theme was Multiverse. Interesting. And basically, we created Multiverse for... Burning Man's multiverse. All <laughs> oh, right, if I you like will, that. it's a great that's, story. Yeah, so that's how that's that's where the name come from. And at the time, by the way, we had the tunnel vision of simply gifting this, if you will, to the Burning Man community, oh, yeah, creating multiverse for the purpose of just having multiverse. And then afterwards, we're gonna pack it up and go back to our old life of having basically the immersive commerce technologies for enterprise clients. And yeah, because what I saw is that eighty percent of the content that was created was by creators. Exactly. And that's and you're talking you're you're describing something that is just massive on a massive scale. Uh, and to absolutely. have eighty percent of that created by independent creators, I think is is now, quite actually we recently had a we recently had a presentation about this with 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 uh, Accenture uh, in, in okay. an event in Monte Carlo that they actually focused on 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 this um, uh, that basically this was a subject of a case study, if you will. What was interesting is that because we're burners, meaning that we go to Burning Man and we know how this is done, Burning Man. Uh, just a quick note about Burning Man is misunderstood mostly as as a music and, and art festival. Oh, which is, don't ever say that. Yeah, Burner. which is yeah, which is which is way <laughs> beyond that. Burning Man actually is a global cultural movement mm-hmm. focused on ten principles that we don't have time to get into. But what makes Burning Man Burning Man is a group of people forming a community, and a shared struggle brings these people together to create something, and it's totally. it's a bonding experience. So yep. we took that shared struggle that happened in the 
deserts of Black Lock City, and we brought mm -hmm. it into a virtual realm. So with the help of, uh, kind help of the organization and lots of key people at Burning Man that actually make this happen real life, right. we had Zoom rooms full of hundreds of people doing the same thing that happens in the real life, but in the virtual Amazing. life. So we created a, we created a, um, a technical specification that was disseminated to the uh, arts, arts community at Burning Man, which allowed them to go to any the 3D uh, designer out there and say, okay, this is my art, this is the spec they gave gotcha. me, and you make me the virtual version, right? Very cool. That's how the 80% content wow. came. That, right? That's amazing. Yeah. And then we work with the organization to place them. It's called placement, basically, practice. To place them in the virtual right. uh, playa, wherever it, you know, it, it goes. And yeah, that's how it happens. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Well done. So tell me more about this. You know, it seems as though the event experience space, entertainment space is really driving force when it comes to metaverse. Um, partly. Given that you guys, partly. 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 Yes. yes. Sure. Um, given that you guys have done something so successful, what are some of the challenges that you guys came across? I mean, just purely simple, like how did this not crash? Just, you know, in, in that sense. Question. So the first incarnation of, uh, so the first, first version of this, uh, we were we were holding it with with our with 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 with, with band aids and basically you know <laughs> working day and night and you know things were crashing and we we're fixing it. Luckily, luckily for us, Burning Man community is very forgiving and things breaking down is a part of an experience. Oh, well, it sure is, right? So, yeah. so one of the things that was give us comfort is that if something falls apart, it's basically it it's uh, it's just uh, feels very normal, if you will. But it didn't, fortunately. So right after Burning Man, we we realized that, wait, actually, this we created this multiverse for Burning Man's multiverse, but wait, mm -hmm. we actually have a consumer facing on our platform. Why? Because all of a sudden, analytics came in and we saw some very interesting data. Number one, we had average session times of 75 minute plus. This is unheard of. That is people, definitely unheard of. People would go in this environment and would not come out, number one. Number two, something very interesting caught our attention. We ran this on mobile, iOS, Android, and VR. And mm -hmm. we realized that VR users did not use it more than 15 or 20 minutes. But the same folks, after basically transitioning from their VR to their mobile device, would would broadcast or mirror their mobile device to their to their TV, and then be the, be inside the environment for hours. Wow! So we're like, okay, wow. So people actually do like to see these or be in these immersive environment on 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 mobile devices. At least at this time, given the state of the art of VR devices, it, it seems that it's it's still more convenient uh, for people to kind of use mobile devices. So we double down on mobile presence, and. We basically retrofitted lots of technologies. We created additional technologies, but the fact that we actually this we realized this was a community effort made us also to make multiverse decentralized. So multiverse currently right. is a decentralized platform. It it li lives on on a blockchain, and. Mm -hmm. uh, and another thing that happened is that we realized that it's not scalable for us to create all the experiences for everybody. We cannot be like a studio, if you will, that uh, just creates on-demand environment for this brand and that brand. We need to be, we are in a position because of the wealth of technologies that we have and because of the fact that we're ahead of the curve by many years because we started working on these things before metaverse was a buzzword, we can actually provide infrastructure services. So that's mm -hmm. why we call right. it metaverse as a service. And right. currently the way it works is that uh, brands, entertainers, anyone, and we have lots of interests and use cases that we talk about shortly, they can come on our platform and they can create an environment either themselves or they can basically have our creative studio create one, or we're actually working on a generative AI that you can actually, with prompt, uh, explain a 3D environment and it creates one for you, <laughs> as you can imagine. That's right. And, yeah. Yep. And then you can basically <laughs> connect connect it to our blockchain and you get a token back. So you own your own environment without any intervention from us and you can sell your environment to whoever else later on. And once you connect your environment to our uh, platform, our interactive immersive reality uh, stack of technologies makes it fully interactive either uh, mm -hmm. then you can have as many avatars you can broadcast audio and video you can uh, co connect shopping carts you can have crypto wallet you can do anything and everything you want in there and, that's quite fast yeah uh, and about some of the interesting use cases one of the things also we realize about this space is 
it's wrong for us to basically try to kind of um, project what are the specific use cases are and basically push the platform toward use those use cases, right? What okay. we what we realized early on is that people will come up with very amazing use cases. So what we need to do is that focus on creating foundational technologies and empowering a community of creative to understand what tool set they have available in terms of building on our platform and then come up with what they want to do. And that right. that bear fruit. So as you noted earlier, yes, entertainment and immersive events is a very big um, piece of it. But mm-hmm. we are also seeing lots of interesting, I, I'll give you some some samples. Uh, we are basically uh, working with, 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 uh, with a brand where they want to have the first immersive, basically, um, theater, if you will. In, in okay. multiverse, and the, the the concept here is that uh, currently you watch things on Netflix, and it's it's an it's basically it's you on a couch and watching binge watching a show. But what if what, what about watching basically basically with the community where you can go inside an immersive environment and there's a virtual theater and you can still watch something, but then you know that you're there with a community in a kind of virtual setting, and then you can connect with that community and maybe you 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 form a community around a a series, if you will, right, where like minded people kind of discuss things. So we see that's happening. Um, medical is, is an interesting one. A while ago, a few months ago, a group of heart surgeons from University of Lausanne in Switzerland came to us with a 3D model of a beating heart that was photorealistic. They asked us to put this in an immersive environment that was basically close to public. And a group of heart surgeons had a meeting, closed door meeting, discussing a heart surgery technique. <laughs> that for life of me, that I would not have, I would not have guessed that would have ever happened on Multiverse, but I've, it did. I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that interview take place. Um, probably not the same one, but yeah, it's. Right. I've, I've seen that as well. So, is is that where you see this really um, going? Is is the need for everyone to seek out a community um, with commonalities that they can sort of bond and connect with, and that is sort of driving these experiences to be more immersive? Is is really community driven as it is with the experience as well? Definitely. What we see happening is that uh, a lot, like what uh, what was portrayed in the movie Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Where you have, uh, where you have, basically, there will be a bunch of metaverse platforms, and eventually, one way or another, these these platforms will will connect or find a way to bridge, and there will be some some basically standardization across the board. Um, focus will be mostly toward things that are higher quality because with what what you not voxel graphic, you can't really do much, if you will. So define what you mean by higher uh, quality. Uh, what you basically have on the market currently on, on platforms such as Sandbox and Decentralands, those are not high quality enough for, let's say, speaking, Unreal Engine. Uh, well, Unreal Engine is of, of, you know, that's what you can use for high quality. Unity, yeah. it's something, Unity <laughs> also, it's something you can use for, for high, higher quality, higher resolution things. <clears throat> but, but, but certain, certain level of minimum quality is needed for, for mm. basically metaverse platform to flourish because you need to basically portray things, represent things, simulate a Tesla car, uh, create a Cartier watch, you know, that sort of thing. So, so there is a base, base, level for quality that's needed then there, there is some other fundamentals which is one of them is having lots of avatars in close proximity right that's one of the things that's lacking currently but these things will evolve eventually so let me ask you about the quality and, and the products being brought into a, a immersive experience talk about scale sure you know tesla has a few couple uh, products um but what if you're talking about a company that has you know hundreds of different products how how do you think that's going to be able to import those in a 3D virtual um, reality space? Um, how is that possible? Very good question. We have actually gone through this exercise. So uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. So it it just so happens that nowadays whatever that gets manufactures and is a physical item and you actually physically hold it in your hand mm-hmm. has a 3D models lying around somewhere. <laughs> That's how okay. these things come to come to be. You know, initially in, in a kind of design aspect of any product, there is some some 3D file. And one of the things we've done is that we've basically tried to find basically ways or develop middlewares that digest all sort of 3D files and you get basically what's known as an FBX format, which is a more or less now nowadays a standard 3D version of, of, of anything, right? 
Okay. And uh, a bit of a primer. Once you have basically, what is a what is a three D object that you see in in a quote unquote immersive environment? It comprises of three basic things. Okay, just right. just to simplify it, it's something that's called a mesh, which is a structure, a three right. D structure of mm -hmm. basically an object. And then on, think of it as a skeleton, if you will. Right as a 3D skeleton, and then on top of that, you, you have a texture, which is basically um, texture as in texture, and then lighting. Right. So basically, mesh right. texture and lighting gives you a 3D object in an immersive. I'm, I'm simplifying this technically, sure, totally. but yeah, just yeah. just just for the sake of sake of our, our audience understanding, it's it's basically those those basically steps. And once you have that 3D mesh. Uh, the 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 latter basically steps are not that difficult to 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 make happen, right? So that's one of the techniques. Then there are a lot of three D scanning techniques that are becoming right. more and more widespread, where you can basically scan things. We we work with uh, basically something that's it's it's relatively old technology, but we have uh, innovated on top of this called volumetric photogrammetry. And the way this works is that you can scan any basically living thing. Like you can have like for example, in the context of fashion, if you look in our YouTube channel, you see where we have a real human model. Real, wearing uh, real yeah, dresses, so. mm -hmm. yes, that actually interact. So the future of a fashion, basically, brand is that instead of you seeing a 2D picture of a, a dress and you wonder how it fits, you can actually go into an immersive environment and see it basically worn by an actual human being uh, in different sizes and different colors, and you can actually go around and appreciate exactly the, te the texture of a fabric and how it fits, right? Do you, do you think the, the it's cost prohibitive for some companies now, for example, you know your your standard uh, mom and pop furniture type of company. Is it is it cost prohibitive for them to sort of test this in the market? It's it used to be, but not anymore. Mm -hmm. So basically, okay. um, just to give you a sense, if you wanted to do volumetric photogrammetry four years ago, it would have cost you about like I don't know, close to hundred k for 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 basically doing um, fifty scans, if you will, right? So even for even for a big brand, that would 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 have been a bit of a head scratch head scratcher because the, if they have a lot of SKUs, they, they were like, are we gonna basically spend this much to basically to right, do that? Totally. Now it's becoming mm. cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So Especially now and within basically the next year or so, you know, that the cost structure will be to a point that you will see um, a lot more attempts on bringing in virtual, basically, um, showrooms and a lot of, lot of 3D objects. And more and more, you will see a lot of things that you see in, in everyday life. And currently, you shop online, seeing 2D picture of it, you would see in an immersive format, mm -hmm. hopefully photorealistically, in some sort of an immersive environment. When you're engaging with a number of companies that are either experimenting with this or totally bought in, um, like your 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 success stories, who are you mostly dealing with, and what is what is the? I don't want to say sales pitch, but not everyone's really bought into this. And so, sure. who typically is the person that sees has the aha moment um, that you that you engage with? It's it's very interesting question. So, what we see happening is that. We see a couple of, couple of recording themes. One is that we see that there are lots of brands that want to, one way or another, figure this metaverse thing out. Okay. And what motivates them, when we talk to some of the executives, what motivates them is that they we feel a little bit of anxiety going back to the e-commerce days. Because, because back in the e-commerce days, some basically brands neglected the, the mm -hmm. you know hopping on the e-commerce bandwagon, and they were punished for it. So we see there there are there are nervous execs out there that they don't want the same thing happening again. So they mm -hmm. want to figure this out before quote unquote it, it gets too late. Like one way or another, understand it and figure out how it relates to their business and what they should do. And mainly things seem to fall into two buckets. Some think that they should approach this from a marketing perspective, meaning that creating experiences for their basically clientele, customer base, and all that sort of stuff to bring them into some sort of immersive environment and work on uh, you know concept of brand reinforcement and, and brand recognition. And then sure. there is there are there are camps sometimes, sometimes within the same entities where they you know we we send sometimes there's like internal kind of dialogues and internal negotiations among themselves that they can basically they're they're thinking that they should monetize it as, as early mm -hmm. as possible and find ways 
of basically uh, uh, f- thinking of this as a next generation of e-commerce and uh, making a more um, better shopping experience, if you will, right? Uh, for 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 their for their um, customer base. That that's another thing that that we see, and. The, the space is still evolving. So hmm. the, the takeaway is that they're still figuring it out and we're still figuring it out with them. Part of it is a collaborative effort. We, we hmm. engage with brands. Sometimes they really don't know what they want. So it's it's something that we, we provide a lot of consulting kind of um, um, uh, help. We, we help them think through this. We help them think through different use cases, scenarios, what could be done, all that sort of thing. That was my next my next point is helping yeah. them um, think about the decision making process. Right. Um, you know, not everybody really can fit into this space. Um, there are hundreds and thousands of different companies out there, but it's almost as if it's an it's um, it's an elevation or it's enhancement to current corporate strategies. It's Definitely. not something that's totally different. It's um, it's an add on to what you're already trying to build, and that's usually how we. Fair. This has been an excellent conversation. I'm really appreciating the time that we're spending here together. Let's let's circle back and spend some more time about your company as of well. Um, I understand you guys have uh, three different products. A user can come in and create their own environment. They sure. can come in and look at prefabricated um, pieces, where they can come and they can um, seek your guidance and consultant consultation with that. Can you describe those three different levels and what the value services are with them? Definitely. So let's start with basically um, uh, the, the creative studio. So some no, some 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 brands would they still want to kind of focus on very uh, highly customized, elaborate environments. And, and basically, our creative studio is spearheaded by, by one of our um, co-founders, Renee. And let's say uh, when we when we did an internal project for Cartier, uh, the Cartier team basically wanted to ha- be very hands-on and very uh, very particular about how that environment needs to look. So those are basically sure. those are cases where lots of basically detailed attention is required for creation of an environment where every every single s- single thing is is basically is is a collaborative effort with with with, with the client. Mm. And right. uh, we basically uh, we we handle those through our Creative Studio. Uh, then yeah. there is there are there are basically general cases where let's say if you want to have a, a nightclub or like a meeting environment, sure. and you don't really need to like fully customize that. We have basically a catalog of many of these, and for sake of basically cost saving measures, someone who wants to have like so let's say a night immersive nightclub, you can take your pick among let's say twenty different designs and even like. Uh, customize that furthermore and as i mentioned earlier we're working on a generative ai that even allows you to like change various aspects of an environment but with a prompt based so telling yeah, it like you know change to, you know change the color of the walls or do this or do that and customize an environment for yourself on your own with no time and get quote unquote a prefab one Right. Which is much faster and a lot cheaper, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then there is an option where there are entities out there in the world that they have the technical prowess to simply do what we did with Burning Man, meaning that have our open source specification and use a publicly available uh, game engine and create whatever they want and just simply yeah. connect that to us. And uh, then again, they have ultimate freedom in terms of uh, how they want to do this and they find this more. Uh, kind of efficient, if you will. So those are yeah. the three models that we settle on. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. That's really wonderful. The, the the offer that you have there. So you know, given that you're working with so many different high profile companies with various different creators, how sure. are you guys managing the user data? Um, I know that you guys are decentralized here, so there's a lot of sure. principles there. But how are you guys managing that? What measures are you taking to protect? Um, people from using this. Um, from so at, at, a, at a high level, I can tell you that we use all of the well-recognized, uh, well-respected uh, security uh, uh, standards, if you will, in the industry. Okay. Uh, also, lots of redundancy, if you will. Okay. And 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 one of the things that's important is uh, user use because this is a decentralized platform. User user data, in a way, belongs to the users and mm-hmm. or or those basically entities that have those environments. So we have the option of users connecting with their crypto wallet okay. which is basically the very essence of web3 do you you know your crypto wallet is your identity and everything right. is it you know it's, it's handled in in that fashion right. and 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 that's that's basically it uh, and we we basically take this very seriously one of the things i can tell you is that we've gone through 
because we have clients, very prominent clients such as Boston Consulting Group and Accenture, we have gone through very heavy kind of diligence process and security audits <laughs> to make sure, sure that you know sure. uh, things are things are done in in a, in the utmost kind of uh, level of kind of security, and yeah. uh, we think we're good. Okay. Yeah. So, so you guys put on such a um, you know massive product, and you guys are delivering exceptional value. Can you can you reveal a bit more about your team? You know, sometimes sure. they're Web three companies; they don't really right. reveal anybody on their team. And, and sure. I'm I'm more of a fan of you know, if you're a real company, you should yes. be able to describe the people that of are behind course. the scenes. Of so I want to know a little bit more about your team. And, and definitely, and, we have yeah. a very interesting team. First of all, we're we're, yeah. we're 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 a very small company. Sometimes people okay. are surprised that all of this is done with a with a team that is no more than twenty people. Wow, and, that's impressive. And yes, and this is this is one of the one of the things I learned during my experience in Tesla. You do not have to have a company of a few thousand engineers to make an exceptional product. You see this also being happening at Twitter now. I was going to say when, yep. <laughs> when my when my old old boss kind of went there. You know, you can see that. And actually, that's a firm belief. I have small teams are more effective, if you will. So mm -hmm. we have a very, very dedicated and talented team of 20. From the 20, 15 are hardcore developers, wow. multi, multidisciplinary. And, okay. and, you know, we have, we have individuals that come from, we have, they have wealth of background in the gaming industry. Okay. Uh, and those basically our, our technical team is managed by my co-founder, Marcin Kimek, which who okay. was the former university professor and had a PhD in computer vision, super technical guy. Wonderful. Uh, we have another uh, co-founder, Rene Brusso. Uh, mm -hmm. she, she spearheads our uh, uh, creative studio and basically okay. works with clients uh, when, when it comes to basically customizing those environments. And Amazing. she's also technical, has the ability to understand uh, basically what 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 can or cannot happen, or what are the kind of uh, standard practices and, and 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 all the sort of stuff. That's an uh, important skill when communicating yes, custom designs for sure. And we're, one of the things that interested uh, is interesting about us is that we have uh, we have aside from engineering office in Poland, we're basically decentralized team. Everybody okay. lives in a different place. So I mean, I'm in San Francisco. Uh, Marcin and some of our engineers uh, spread around uh, Poland. Uh, we do cool. have an office in in Krakow, Poland. Okay. Uh, Rene also is in the United States. We also have a, a our, our uh, director of strategic initiative, Fabio Genedo. He, he's in Italy. Uh, right. So we're so we're kind of all over the place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it's incredible. Yeah, it's an, an interesting dem demographic of people. Yeah. That's that's incredible. That's really yeah. uh, I appreciate you sharing some of that. And of um, you know, I guess my next question is, how do you take care of your people? What's the what's the revenue model? Because I've I've learned that there are a number of different ways that someone can sort of structure a revenue model. But you guys actually don't charge. Yes. Um, similarly to other other metaverse yes. platforms, where you have to buy land, etc. Oh, so of course. So so, of so a little bit of background <laughs> about that. Um, one of the things that you know it's it's basically a, a relic of, of, of web 2 era is that whenever mm. you have a platform and mm. uh, the way that these platforms are monetized um, wantedly or unwantedly at some point your interests become orthogonal to the interest of people who build on your platform sure. because you want to monetize they want to monetize and it, uh, it eventually becomes a competition of if I'm making money or not or vice versa and this is not how we wanted things to be right so we are focusing on a scale business think okay. of amazon web services right sure. where where you basically we want to be the infrastructure upon which a lot of uh, metaverse environment are are built and linked together so we we and so that's that's one fundamental belief we have another one is that we do not believe in such a thing as virtual real estate there is no scarcity of bits of data. Yeah, exactly. Like there isn't so so creating artificial scarcity of quote unquote virtual land, it's nonsense. There is no such a thing. And we don't believe in that. So so selling like quarter million dollar uh, virtual real estate uh, because you created some sort of artificial scarcity. We do not believe those stand the test of time, if you will. And we thought what's more equitable in terms of 
putting our community first, the community of developer first, mm -hmm. and us being basically a support infrastructure layer for those, is to simply let them build on our platform and be successful and share in their success, meaning mm -hmm. that they do not have to pay us anything to come on our platform. They can basically build their environment, uh, have, uh, you know, launch a business. We do not take a cut from them. We simply uh, charge for the usage of the platform, which is a per user per hour charge, which if you think oh, about it, okay. makes our incentive is squarely aligned with their incentive. If they are successful and define what success means. Let's say they come. They have a hypothesis that if they have an immersive entertainment venue, that it will basically be populated by people, right? So mm -hmm. if they're successful, means they have virtual foot traffic. That means they have people, and they will monetize that, you know, somehow, one way or another. You know, virtual advertising, selling virtual product, physical product, whatever the case may be. But in that point, we share in that success by them paying us for the usage. That means if mm -hmm. they if they really successful, then they pay for that usage. And if, if they're not successful, then they're not out of pocket for basically making a mistake of thinking that their business right. would have worked, right? right? So this way, we want to kind of, quote unquote, de-risk this to the point that encourages folks to come on our platform and give this a try. I don't think I've heard that model, but you're absolutely right. It does take away the risk um, and it gives a lot of ability and flexibility to test various things and, and see what works. So they can you basically know. come on a platform and try various things and in month, month, work, month one, it may work and month two, it may not. And three, month three, it may be like much more successful. We don't yeah. want anybody having an anxiety that they think they have to right. basically sure. have a lot of or a serious capital expenditure to even think about right. this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's it's actually one of the biggest problems with the metaverse space is the ghost town syndrome. And, <laughs> and I think I think you nailed it when there's a lot of monetary um, incentives to sort of drive traffic. You know that dies after after some point. You know, um, and I think I, I think a really interesting way to look at traffic is through the is through a game is through the gaming experience. People Definitely. come in, they have fun. Um, and, and I, I, I'm a firm believer that if you can nail a way to gamify the experience, yes. um, you'll have much more people coming. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Absolutely. Or is it that you have? No, no, absolutely. One <laughs> of the things, one of the things that, that one of the th fundamentals we believe in that this, this, we, we call it this, uh, concept of, um, artificial, artificial growth and mm. the artificial growth or artificial, basically promotion of, of these environments won't happen. And those happens by, by basically creating some sort of a unsustainable hype about like a scarcity sure, of yes. virtual real yeah. estate or, or, or launching some sort of token where basically that's a, that's a motive for, for people to kind of mm -hmm. uh, uh, engage with your platform. But none of those yeah. translates into people actually enjoying it. Mm -hmm. For this to happen, you need engagement. And for engagement right. to happen, there needs to be some sort of a value that right. a user takes away by engaging with your platform. Either they're, they're, they're a member of a community, so they connect with their community, mm -hmm. or they have a fun experience, or they're basically uh, 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 having a um, successful uh, purchasing experience or, or, right. or uh, anything that basically uh, there is a direct relationship between your platform and what it presents and enjoyments and, and receiving some sort of value on the, on the end of the consumer, if you will. Well said. Yeah. You you have a wealth of experience, and you've mentioned two companies that you have worked with, um, Accenture and yes. um, Boston Consulting Group. Yes. They represent a range of, of individuals from the private sector. Yes. Um, could you share a little bit more about your experience that you have with Accenture and Boston Consulting Group? Definitely. And, so yeah. um, we started working with Accenture shortly after Burning Man. They had learned okay. about us. And Accenture, uh, it's basically, it's a um, multinational uh, conglomerate. And we uh, started working with Accenture Middle East. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, we started working with those folks and uh, uh, we uh, basically uh, started uh, going through a bunch of exercises and they have a division called uh, Accenture Song. It was formerly called Accenture Interactive. Okay. And they also have a wealth of experience with respect to uh, how, you know, the, the, the progression of this, this whole metaverse movement and all that sort of stuff. Right. Right. And we have uh, very successful case studies with them. We've done some, some, some projects with them. They actually launched an internal project called Creative Series where they came on Multiverse and they had 
TED speakers uh, coming and talking to basically a group of hundreds of their clientele. And it was very fun and engaging. Uh, so we have basically that experience with Accenture. Um, and then Boston Consulting Group, that's uh, that's also very recent and very, very uh, interesting. So let me tell okay. you about that a little bit. So uh, BCG uh, Paris Division, Okay, uh, they had this amazing, beautiful, brilliant idea of educating their workforce about anything and everything Web3. So what did they do? They basically um, provided their community with the opportunity to uh, mint an NFT uh, avatar. Okay, and so for this to happen, the workforce need to go through an education process of opening a wallet, understanding what NFTs are, engaging with this thing, designing an avatar, and all that sort of thing. Wow! And uh, this was created by another company, the Avatars. And given that we're kind of an open platform, meaning that our specs are public and other companies can build on our platform, <laughs> then uh, BCG created an environment on Multiverse and those avatars that were actually created by another company, they all came to Multiverse. So after the BCG workforce had gone through this educational process of adopting a crypto wallet and minting their NFT avatars and all those sort of stuff, they had an immersive uh, fun event where they all came into a Multiverse environment and there was a virtual concert and they, they connected and, and, and it was a very, very positive experience. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's really incredible. Um, so we're coming to the end of this podcast, and I think you've demonstrated a lot of expertise. You've shared stories about intelligence officers <laughs> that surprised you in meetings. You've given some great tips about businesses and how they can look at the, the metaverse space. And, and I think you're, you're doing a wonderful job with um, delivering very sound, very reasonable, very impressive uh, type of products and services to the market. Um, I think the metaverse currently has has a bad rap. Um, I think there's a PR situation that we have to go through. But I think over time, I think a lot of companies and private sectors and users as well would really understand the value proposition uh, with this nice. experience. Um, I like to give the last you know few moments to talk about how people can reach out to you. How do they find you? How do they learn more about you? And yeah, definitely. So um, our our website is enter entermultiverse.io. Okay. Uh, if anybody wants to uh, reach out directly, uh, my email is faryar at clippolabs.com. That's f a r y a r at clippolabs.com. Feel free to shoot 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 me an email, and uh, you know we can we can engage uh, folks that way. Um, our general inbox is info <laughs> at clippolabs.com. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to the, um, and I also encourage people to visit our uh, LinkedIn page, and there you can see a lot of videos and samples of different products that we have, different verticals, different yeah. experiences, uh, as it relates to luxury and fashion, uh, sports, uh, uh, you know, digital digital twins. Um, one of the things, one of the interesting things about us is that we have lots of technologies that are well ahead of what whatever else is there on the market, and uh, we can basically help a lot of companies and brands like have uh, have a metaverse presence that would be very surprising to their Amazing. to their community in terms of what's possible actually. Amazing. By the way, I hadn't even mentioned, but I have the app. I've had the app for a few, yes. at least a year, about a year or so. It is yes. extremely smooth. Yes. Easy onboarding. Yeah. I mean, within seconds, I'm already in it, and I'm just Definitely. like yes. So, using uh, the hoverboard. Thank you for mentioning that. We also have an iOS app. Uh, yeah. Folks need to you can simply search for multiverse dash iir, yeah. mm -hmm. and on Android they can simply search for multiverse and then download an app. And simply, if you simply download an app and a friend of your download an app, and if you guys go to the same environment and you're two avatars, and you can basically talk to one another in there and just Very go cool. and do fun things. And we're ad we're adding a lot of uh, 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 games and gamifications and scavenger hunts and uh you know oh, that's awesome. yeah yeah it's it's that's gonna be cool. yeah it's gonna be ever-growing community of users on, on multiverse i love it all right i have one last question before we part ways yes my question to you yes if you had six more hours in the yes. day so not 24 now you have 30 hours yes what would you do with the additional six well, it makes me laugh because it's it's something I, I I had once thought about. I wish that was that was a possibility. Let's so, yeah. Answer. So let me let me tell you a little bit about my life. I guess that's informing. So that's a good <laughs> because I'm in San Francisco and 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 our engineering team is in basically Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, when my midnight is when they start going to work. So the, the way I live my life is that I work from midnight until 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. 
And then, <laughs> yes. and I've been doing this for years now. And I crash for a few hours, and then I have my meetings on the U.S. time zone. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then I, I take a short nap and I get ready for for the for for the night again. So if if by grace of God somehow I could manage some sort of a, some sort of a way of uh, squeezing six more hours, I would use three more hours of sleep, if you will. <laughs> Not even the full six, just three. That's all just you want. Three. Just three, and a little bit more for uh, for 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 work. Because okay. as I said, we're we're still a small team, and um, you know, I work as much as uh, six people full time. So, so I could I could use three more hours for that and three more hours for sleep. Yes, I gather you an expert at power naps, my friend. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> it is a science. I, I might say it is, it is a science. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm delighted to have you on. I'm sure Thank that you. a lot of our members from the YWO community and our audiences around the world have gathered a number of gems from this conversation. Thank you so and much. Thank you once again for the time and opportunity to to speak with my me. My pleasure. Everybody else. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It was a great experience. Thank you so much. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner, with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.